morning, Melissa Lee, and this is Fast Money. Tonight's trader lineup, Guy Dami, Tim Seymour, Dan Nathan, and C. Grasso. Tonight on Fast, overcooked. That's what Morgan Stanley's Mike Wilson is calling this market. While he says we could be due for a big pullback. Plus, Snap takes the spotlight. The company rolling out a new service to take on TikTok. Why one of our traders thinks this could be a big bet that pays off. And later, we are counting down to Christmas with a good old-fashioned game of shop it or drop it. Find out which retail stocks belong on this year's naughty or nice list. We start off with late breaking news on President-elect Joe Biden's Treasury Secretary pick. Let's get right to Steve Leisman, who's got the details. Steve. Thanks very much, uh, Melissa. CNBC independently confirming that President-elect Joe Biden will nominate former Fed Chair Janet Yellen to be Treasury Secretary, a story first broken earlier today by the Wall Street Journal. If confirmed, Yellen, an internationally regarded economist, would be the first woman secretary in the Treasury's 231-year history. She would be the second Fed Chair to hold the post of Treasury Secretary. Here are some of the highlights of a long career as an economist and a public servant. First woman uh, to Fed Chair from 2014 to 2018, raising inequality to an issue that the Fed should deal with. Fed Vice Chair 2010 to 2014, San Francisco Fed President, and of course, CEA Chair under President Clinton from 97 to 99. Yellen can be expected to favor additional relief and stimulus for the U.S. economy, believing less in the ability of markets to navigate out of a recession on their own without government aid. Here's what she thought needed to be done in April in an interview with CNBC if the coronavirus lingered longer than expected. If this lasts a long time, there'll need to be um, additional support for unemployment insurance, uh, possibly further checks uh, to support other needs that households have. I think state and local governments need more support than the CARES Act provided, um, perhaps health insurance, particularly for workers who's uh, got health insurance through their jobs and that's been severed. Those would be things um, on my list. Yellen could also be expected to be more in line with Democrats on the issue of holding the line on existing banking regulation, perhaps disappointing bankers who would have hoped for more deregulation under a second Trump administration, but not as strident perhaps as Elizabeth Warren would have been on the issue. Her biggest challenge as a Treasury Secretary should be expected to back up her boss politically on economic issues, but it's not uncommon for good economics to conflict, Melissa, with politics. Um, on that point, though, Steve, as Treasury Secretary, she would be expected, I would imagine, to also sort of be the bridge between the administration and Congress when it comes to stimulus. It's clear that she is in favor of bigger, bolder stimulus. But do you think that she's got the political chops to play that role? You know, I, I, I don't know, because here's the issue. As Fed chair, her ability, her willingness and the tradition of the Fed was that they weren't really all that political. They didn't really right. go in there and lobby for things. They'd say, hey, we probably should have some stimulus. How much or what exactly you do, that's up to you. Well, now the shoe's on the other foot, so to speak, where now the administration could be specifically proposing, here's what we need to do, and she's going to have to go in and lobby for it, both in public and, of course, behind the scenes. All right. So stimulus, we know where she stands. Low rates, we know where she stands. Banking regulation, we know where she stands. How about things like the dollar, um, as well as trade, some of the other sort of policy-oriented questions that the markets might have? You know, it'll be interesting to hear what she thinks about trade. I think you nailed a really good issue there, Melissa, because um, I, I think she would have, have been part of the consensus that favored free trade. It, it's hard to sort of 
come up and learn economics and not be generally in favor of free trade. Helping the people who are hurt by it, but not necessarily Katie bar the door and keep out the exports. Um, I think the Biden administration will have to pick its way very carefully here on relations with China. President Trump has reset the issue in a big way, and that's going to be an issue for Biden to navigate. It's going to be an issue for Janet Yellen to navigate. On the issue of the dollar, I think she'll stick to the old saw of they don't talk about the dollar very much. The dollar is going to go the way it's going to go. And specifically intervening on the dollar, I would not expect to be a policy of the Biden administration and certainly not the Yellen Treasury. Steve, it's, it's I mean, clear the market likes this. I guess my question to you is being that she wore the Fed chair hat, um, how much of that is transferable? I mean, is there a certain skill set that she's going to bring to Treasury that maybe somebody in the past going back to Hamilton has never had? Um, I, I don't I don't think so, in, in part because um, I think the economics as she sees them are the same economics as she goes over to the uh, to the Treasury. And, and it's a matter of she wasn't all that excited about the Trump corporate tax cuts. I don't think she was excited about them over at the Fed. I don't think she crosses over uh, to, to, to the Treasury side and, and she's going to be more excited about them. Um, I think she'll probably have to do more in terms of international relations, but she did a lot of that at the Fed as well. So I'm not really sure that there's something specific about it, except that she's going to have to sort of follow the economics. There's a lot she said and written about economics. And, and, and you understand that economists differ on how much they want the free market to run things. But in general, they want the free market to run things, either Democratic or Republican economists. So I think that's a sense or a signal maybe that Biden is going to really side on the favor of the free market with more intervention than a Republican side, but not really uh, dismiss it by any shape or form. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see if she does anything uh, to sort of close the gap in the inequalities that are developing in this economy because of the pandemic, given her background as a labor economist and also her stance as Fed chairwoman on that particular issue. Um, but, Steve, the other part of this is, so it's like a chess piece moving, right? So, so Janet Yellen goes to Treasury, in theory, if, if confirmed. Right. Um, what does a, a chairman of, of the Federal Reserve, Lael Brainerd, look like in terms of policy? Um, well, we know that... Uh, uh, Fed Governor Lael Brainerd uh, yeah. was very, very uh, strong on the CRA, the Community Reinvestment Act regulations, in terms of uh, making the banks do more than perhaps they wanted to do or, or than other parts of the Trump administration wanted to have done. That was a big part of it. Um, I think it's early to be talking about that. In fact, Melissa, I want to go back to your other point about, uh, about Yellen in, in, in terms of uh, these are easy days now. For Janet Yellen to be Janet Yellen at the Treasury. Why? Because the Fed and the Treasury are going to be together over the next several months, maybe even the next year, on what needs to be done for the economy. Um, it's down the road as the economy reaccelerates. Um, when issues of the deficit become important, you, you, you could almost immediately have Republicans in the Senate start pivoting towards fiscal austerity. Um, even though they weren't that way several months ago, that could be a big issue. Um, you could have the bond market demanding a bit more austerity. Uh, you could have a Fed that at some point has to go its separate way on rates if the economy were to reaccelerate and inflation were to become an issue. So these are easy days now. The questions to be asking and to be pondering are how is that relationship work when the Fed and the Treasury during a, a more booming and buoyant 
economy have to go their separate ways? Very good question. Steve, always a pleasure. Thank you. Pleasure. Thanks. Steve Leesman. Um, Tim Seymour, what do you make of Janet Yellen, Treasury Secretary? I think she's uh, as eminently qualified as anyone they could have chosen. And, and uh, Mr. Biden, President Biden-elect, could have chosen. And I, and I think she's thoughtful, she's rational, and she does bridge uh, monetary and fiscal policy. I, I think, you know, if there's a criticism from the right, it might be that she, you know, Fed policy at times in the last 10 years has been beyond remit. You know, has, has stepped past where people had thought that the Fed should go uh, in terms of coming up with unorthodox policy uh, to encounter unorthodox times. So um, I think probably the most important legacy for Ms. Yellen from the Fed uh, and Treasury Secretary-elect possibly um, is, is that the Fed in the Obama administration was very much uh, focused on, and certainly Bernanke was focused on, uh, not removing monetary policy before the economy had truly recovered. All the dangers... Mm -hmm. And the perils of, of leaving the economy uh, to suffer through a, a shock that it's not you know, able to, to endure. So I think that dynamic, as it opposed to, to fiscal policy and her push there, I, I think will be very important here. And I think, look, the market's going to like this. The market does like it. And I think that's really you know, the, the place where we pick up the conversation. I mean, she's a dove and she wants a lot of stimulus, Dan. And isn't that exactly what the markets want to hear? Yeah, I do think it's interesting, though, that obviously she provide, uh, presided over the end of ZERP um, when she was um, initially, I think, after maybe a year in the seat at the Fed. I think that obviously she is a dove. I think the point that you made with Steve about being a labor economist, I think in that interview from earlier in the year when she talked about how many of our citizens lost their health care because of the loss of jobs. We still have um, weekly jobless claims above 700,000. I think from the day of Trump's inauguration to about this January or February, that weekly jobless claim number was about averaging about 225. So we are going to have to deal with structurally high unemployment at a time, um, you know, where there's going to be really deep scars on our economy for the next year or two, you know. So I, I do think she's very thoughtful. Um, I think that it's ironic that Trump uh, seemed to really like her during the campaign in 15 and 16 because she was such a dove. But I suspect that she will work very well initially with Jerome Powell. And, you know, the begging that he was doing for further fiscal stimulus all summer into the fall, um, I think that's probably where we get a good connect. And to your point, the markets will like that. Yeah. Steve, should we be more bullish, do you think, about the markets, knowing that Janet Yellen could be Treasury Secretary? Uh, so I think what's equally as important, you brought up the relationship that she's going to have on Capitol Hill and what that's going to look like since she's supposed to be a non-political figure. So I think that what Dan just said is important. The relationship that she's going to have at the Fed and the people that she knows there, I think, is equally as important. But let's remember, the Senate is still run by Republicans. So what can and cannot be done is a huge elephant in the room, if you will. So I think the market should be excited about this. Uh, it's an acceptable choice, not only for the Democrats, but for the Republicans. So I think this is as, as close to a non-event choice as President-elect Biden could have made. So I think it's a great choice for the markets on that behalf. I mean, about a dozen Republicans voted in her favor during her confirmation as Fed chairperson. So that, that's important to bring forward here um, through the next set of hearings. Guy, your take on this pick. 
Yeah, market likes it. So, I mean, and the fact that you have Elizabeth Warren on one side uh, singing the praises of that selection and a number of Republicans as well, I think that speaks volumes as to how universally, I think, like this is going to be. I think to Steve's point, though, I mean, are you going to run into trouble with the fact that Republicans seemingly still control things? And, you know, are we going to, you know, I thought it was fascinating a week or so ago when Wilbur Ross seemingly out of nowhere all of a sudden started talking about debt and deficits where we haven't heard about that seemingly for the last couple of years. And now we're starting to hear about it. If we start to hear about it more, maybe that starts to throw a wrench into the works. I don't necessarily know that's going to be the case. That would be my concern. But the fact that she's been as dovish as she's been in the previous role, I think the markets are going to continue to like that. And I think that getting through this without somebody um, that could be polarizing in that seat, for example, Elizabeth Warren, I think that's what the market was looking for. Yep. For more on this uh, Treasury pick and the impact on the markets, let's bring in Mike Wilson, Chief U.S. Equity Strategist at Morgan Stanley. Mike, always great to speak with you. Um, what's your take on Janet Yellen as Treasury Secretary? Well, look, I think you guys did a good job of covering all the bases. I mean, from my standpoint, I think the, a good, the good thing is it's not going to be a fight, right? I mean, she'll get approved pretty quickly, which is important because we don't really want to have a you know, time pass here uh, in the transition. So uh, that's point number one. And, and point number two is you know, she's a familiar person as well, right? I mean, the market knows her. Um, I mean, the world knows her. So this is not some, well, what is she going to be like? People know who Janet Yellen is. She's very clear. She's a good communicator. So those are all, as everybody said, those are, that's what the market wants. It wants clarity. It wants visibility. Somebody who's going to be on the team to kind of, you know, help things move forward. I want to get to your market call, uh, which you published recently. I mean, shorter term, you're, you're looking for a pullback. Longer term, you're bullish, though. And I'm wondering if, knowing that Janet Yellen will be the, the Treasury Secretary, um, or will likely be the Treasury Secretary, does that make you more bullish? Does it make you more optimistic that stimulus will be bigger, will be more helpful to the markets, will be more helpful to consumers? I wouldn't say it'll be bigger or better, but I do think it, it relieves any kind of anxiety that things will get hung up. I, you know, our call is that we still do think we need a little stimulus in the first quarter. We think we'll get it uh, once we get to the new government installed and you know get through this lame duck period. Uh, maybe it requires some market pressure. Uh, but look, I mean, our call on the market is, has been pretty clear. I mean, I think the index is not really where the action is, right? The 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 market, you know, opportunity is beneath the index level, and that. That's a theme we've been espousing all year, and that does require an economy, by the way, to continue to improve, okay? Um, I think the Janet Yellen pick is supportive to that idea. Um, I think in the near term, we have to get through some things that have nothing to do with this appointment, uh, and the market may need to, you know, kind of deal with that in the next month or two, and maybe that creates some anxiety one more time. You know, the market has one more twist up its sleeve. But the reality is, is that we're in a new bull market. We're in a new economic recovery, and you need to be skewing down the cap curve towards the you know more cyclical parts of the market and that's you know that seems to be in gear pretty clearly here hey mike when you look at your picks it was just that where you left off how much of that are you looking at through your picks through the prism of growth into value and today energy was the leader is that because of a the vaccine growth into value or did people think that Biden was going to be terrible on energy and now we're softening on that? Well, I mean, today is an interesting uh, day of price action. I mean, the energy moves are always extreme when they get going because, I mean, there's a lot of shorts in the energy space. That, that sector trades like it's short. I mean, at that, so I think that's why the move is so outsized. And you look at the other cyclical sectors, materials and industrials, financials, they all participated quite nicely, small caps. 
And so to me, it's just a higher beta on, on energy because of that short base. So I don't, I mean, yeah, it looks extreme on the screen. It, it was the best performer, but I think it's performing in line with its natural beta, and then the, the short base is making it more extreme. I don't think anything specific today was telling me I need to buy energy more aggressively than, say, these other cyclical areas. Hey, Mike, it's Tim. But what, what has been moving aggressively are those things below the index you're talking about, whether it's uh, transports, whether it's industrials, you know, the, the GM story, the airlines, the recovery trade. Uh, where do you jump in? Because I, I thought today's market action was very bullish, actually. Uh, and, and I'm curious where you are. No, I agree. And I think, you know, you and I have been on a similar page for a while, which is, you know, you need to force yourself to get away from the former leaders and look for the new opportunities. And, and it's exactly what it is. It's in these uh, these uh, stocks that are more levered to an improving economy down the cap curve. So, you know, once again, materials, industrials, energy could be in that bucket too. I like the consumer cyclical area. And, and also financials. You know, financials is the one that still is left behind, you know, because rates haven't really moved yet. But the way I think about it is, is yep. the rate market is the one that's behind, okay? Every other market that I look at in the world is telling me things are going to improve next year. And for whatever reason, the rates market has been left behind because there's a view that the Fed is going to keep things tapped down. But ultimately, you know, that's a losing game. If the economy continues to improve where we think it's going to, rates are going to follow. And so that leads me to believe that maybe financials might be the one that has the biggest upside potential because people are still uh, leery of going there simply because of that rate story. Hmm. Mike, great to speak with you. Thank you. Thanks a lot. Have a Mike good night. Wilson, Morgan Stanley, you too. Um, here's a, to build on Mike's point about this, this rally changing and getting out of the leadership names, this is what Carter just sent out moments ago by email. Each of the top five stocks in the S&P 500 index today declined while the index itself rose. Dan, I thought of you immediately when I read that email. <laughs> yeah, I, listen, it's been my view. I know Steve has been on this trade for a while, this sort of rotation. And I think when you have a day like today where you see Apple, the largest market cap company in the world, uh, $2 trillion in market cap down 3% and the, F, the rest of the F MAGA um, you know, group down and you're seeing that rotation. Here's where I'm just a little less optimistic in the near term. I'm kind of in Mike Wilson's camp that the market is a little overcooked here. You know, the Fed's balance sheet has increased, what, three, three and a quarter trillion this year alone. We know that there's going to be one or two trillion more um, in, in just uh, fiscal stimulus, hopefully coming in the first half of next year. At some point, all of that debt has to weigh on future growth. And I know that the rates where they are, it's great for stocks on a relative basis right now. So I'm not so concerned when I think about the F-MAGA complex, these ma ma major mega cap tech stocks correcting, you know, going sideways a little bit because you have these moves in these other areas. But I don't really buy the moves in the other areas. I don't buy the materials. I don't buy the energy. I think that, you know, we have Goldman Sachs causing, calling for a Q1 GDP decline. So are we in a W now? We're in a double dip? What's going on with the economy? And the longer that this transition um, kind of just gets extended here, the least likely we are to have our population inoculated under the best case scenarios, which is really when this economy can take off, which is really when the stock market can take off. But I'm not so certain with all of this debt that we are just getting to the bridge to the vaccine so we can get the stock market or we can keep the stock market up. I'm not sure that's great for future returns. And I'm not sure that's great for future economic growth. Getting to the sector that Mike Wilson likes the most here, financials. Guy, your take. We've said for a while, when, you know, when City was trading down at $41 and it was 59% of tangible book, I know we said that these were valuations that you didn't even see in the financial crisis and the stocks were too cheap. And now you're starting to see 
the banks move to levels that make more sense. I still think you can see a rally in the banks, and I'm not some crazy bank bull, but you, know, you can get the city to 85% of tangible book, and it's probably a $58, $60 stock, and then you start to think about taking profits. And I think that's true with some of these other names as well. And my pushback with Dan would be, I understand what he's saying about the resource trade, but I do think there's still room in the resources. Freeport, McMoran, names like that that we have talked about, Cleveland Cliffs, they make sense. And these levered energy names, which I know Tim has talked about, look at the move in PSX over the last month, month and a half, and look at the move today. So despite the fact that there may be headwinds coming, there's still some runway in terms of the stocks to the upside. All right. Coming up, Snap takes the spotlight. The social media company rolling out a new feature to take on TikTok. What will its big bet on short videos pay off? We'll debate that. And later, Tesla putting the pedal to the metal. The stock breaking out to a new all-time high. We will break down what is driving this record run when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Snap hitting a new all-time high as the company rolls out a new feature to compete with TikTok and Instagram's Reels. It's called Spotlight. It shows users the top snaps that have been submitted for consideration and will pay top creators with a daily pool of more than $1 million as incentives. Spotlight will also launch ad-free for the time being. Um, Steve's been all over Snap for a while, so um, is this a big deal? Yeah, I think it's a huge deal. And, they, and more importantly, Melissa, it's grossly outperformed both Facebook and, and Twitter. Snap is up about 180% or thereabouts year-to-date. Facebook, Twitter up 30 and 40% respectively. And most importantly, not in the crosshairs of D.C. When you look at what you just said, that pool of a million dollars per day that they're going to be giving out, that's going to bring a host of content in. It's going to bring in more users. And then, not to begin with, but they will start having ads there. That is just going to move the needle again for Snap. So I think you stay there as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, Dan, you know, it's interesting because I was reading this analyst note and they make the point that a lot of users uh, of TikTok, they use Snap's AR features, they use the Snap camera already. So the likelihood is that you won't actually, that they'll be using both effectively. Um, So you won't lose anybody, you might gain some people, and you'll keep the people more importantly. Yeah, listen, it it could work. Um, You know, again, to Steve's point, the stock's up 180. No, I mean, listen, you know, last week we were talking about Twitter's fleets, right? And we were like, that's cool. Um, I fleeted a couple times. I'm done. So I'll tell you next week at this time, if my daughters, I have two teenage daughters who go back and forth between TikTok and Snapchat, if they start using the spotlight. And if they do, and they stay there because let's say Charlie D'Amelio goes over to Snapchat because she wants to take a million a day in, right? And, and, and Then they'll have the audience, right? And then they'll have the engagement and then they'll, they'll be able to kind of sell ads to it, right? And then, but here's the thing, in the near term, I'm just saying, they're going to have to really ramp up. They're going to have to hire a lot of people. They're going to make sure that there's just not bad content on there. So there's going to be costs associated with it. But we're going to know really uh, quickly, if some of these major TikTok influencers do not go and start using the spotlight, Mm -hmm. then it's going to kind of be dead in the water. And this is a company that's already said that they do not want to rely on celebrity sort of user-generated content, right, for their engagement. So it's a tricky one. I am all for it if it works. How's that? Yeah. I mean, Guy, I know that you, you go into Dunkin', you get your Charlie drink uh, and you fleet at the same time. So I'm, I'm really curious to what you think of this this one. 
You know, I'll, I'll be careful here, but for, for those of a certain age, Fleet, uh, there's, a, there, there's a different product, but I, I completely digress, and I encourage people to go to their Google machines and check that out. Now, listen, I know we've been steadfast in terms of Snap and the opportunity that was presented to the stock when Facebook sort of took their eye off the ball earlier this year. But now you have to ask yourself, it's a $68 billion market cap company, I believe, You've gone from 28 to 45 pretty much in a straight line since that earnings release. And is it too much too fast? And as bullish as I've been, and we have been, you know, I think now's the time to be pairing back. As euphoric as people are people now, that's how dour they were. Remember that first earnings call that Evan Spiegel did. So I think now's the time, instead of be getting into Snap, I think you've got to be pairing down in Snap. All right. Coming up. Is Santa Claus coming to town this year? The latest batch of retail data suggests that he is. We will bring you the trade next and later looking to roll the dice. Look no further than the casino stocks. We'll break down the one name that could hit the jackpot. We've got that and a lot more when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. The countdown to Christmas is on. Only 31 shopping days left. And the NRF says Santa Claus is coming to town. Despite the pandemic, the retail research group predicts a strong holiday season of about 5% sales growth and a 20 to 30% increase in online shopping sales. Tim, we were just talking about the need for more stimulus. <laughs> The desperation of Americans who are yeah. out of work with no health care. And here we are talking about people spending more than last year. Well, my shopping's done, Mel. So, you know, I, I, I can just tell you from experience. That's right? me clapping. Good um, for you, Tim. I, <laughs> yeah, right. Um, I, I think the, the reallocation of the, of the wallet within the household is very clear. And, and therefore, when you're talking about some of these discretionary retailers and discretionary retail stories, it's it's not difficult to see where even a Lululemon. Obviously, we've spent a lot of time talking about Target and Walmart, uh, and to, to the extent that the consumer has more money to allocate towards some of these purchases, I think they will. They're not spending on vacations. They're not spending on entertainment. They're not spending on restaurants. And I think even a, a downtrodden consumer, um, which is not necessarily everybody, but unfortunately, there's a lot of folks out of work this holiday season. I, I just think that the trends that are COVID trends have a little more time left. And I think you're going to see numbers of the holiday season. What's priced in, we have that conversation every night. But in terms of what we should expect around the holidays, uh, this consumer will be spending. Housing prices are good still also. Uh, and the stock market is up, Guy, and that certainly helps consumers feel a little bit richer around this time. No, and it, yeah, without question. And I've said this for years, you know, never bet against the U.S. consumers want to spend money. I mean, they'll do it given the opportunity and clear they're doing it now. And the, we've tried to steer you to the places that they're spending. Restoration Hardware, I think, an all-time high. Williams-Sonoma within a whisper of it. Dollar Gen's been a great uh, name as well. So this barbell approach has worked. But listen, there's some high flyers out there that have probably squeezed out a lot of short. It's probably time to pull the ripcord. And I'm sure we're going to discuss some of those in our one of our favorite games called uh, Shop It or Drop It. I mean, I can't think of another game that, that <laughs> is up there in the pantheon of games on Fast Money. Just check out some of the moves, though, before we hit it. Um, in retail, as we head to our most wonderful and more important year for some of these stocks. Nordstrom, nice November up 93%. Ulta and Gap, both up around 35%. Target, that's an all-time high today. So we thought it would be a perfect time for one of our favorite games. Shop It or Drop It! Yes, that's right. Shop It or Drop It. Um, Grasso is going to kick it off for us with Nordstrom. Shop It or Drop It, Steve. 
I'm going to shop this one. And, and for the main purpose of my premise with this is if you did well in 2020 on the re- retail side, it's going to be very hard for you to replicate that in 2021. Uh, Nordstrom was a restructuring story, or at least that's what the headlines told us back in May. Stock rallied 75% off the May lows to June. So right now, we have in the target zone that 25 level on a technical basis. If target, I'm sorry, if Nordstrom can, can crash through that to the upside, there's a lot of runway for this stock. Don't bet against it. Shop it. Yeah, that seems like purely a technical take. And I see the levels that Steve's looking at. That was the 2019 low around 25. It was the June or May high around 25. If you draw a line from the 2018 high and then you connect it to the late 2019 high and then you get right back to that $25. So you have a massive downtrend from an all-time high. You have massive technical resistance there. I wouldn't be playing for a breakout after a 100% rally, um, but if you know something fundamentally that I don't, then maybe that's one way to do it. So I am dropping this one here. All right, let's move on to Alta. Having a beautiful month. Tim, shop it or drop. Yeah, you know, I, I think I have to drop this one, even though I think the trends are, are, are interesting. I, I know that the cosmetics business guy is down 50 percent since uh, uh, since we got into COVID. I think the, the story that they've been able to develop their partnership with Target, all very good. I just think that the valuation is very stretched here. And I, I think at some point, uh, yes, it's a recovery story, but not in the short to medium term to to at least compensate for a very big multiple. Yeah, it's had a huge move off the March low, no question. But I still think there's room at least up to 300, which if you go back and look at February, Mel, was I think that, you know, one of the prior highs we made, not an all-time high, but a prior high. Despite the fact that it's rallied, despite the fact that valuations might be stretched, you know, you've seen these stocks sort of overextend to the upside, and I think that's what you're going to see in Ulta. And I think we try to take out that February high either side of $300. So I would shop it. All right. Well played, Guy. So well played. We're going to go back to you. Thank you. With Target trading at all-time highs, chop it or drop it. Well, this is one we've talked about. I know for seemingly forever. And when this was trading at such a trough multiple to Walmart, I think collectively we said if you like Walmart at 28 times, you got to love Target at their valuation, and that's proven to be correct. Target is absolutely caught up. Now the question is, going to continue to the upside? And I would say yes. I think you're probably in the mid innings, but you're not in the late innings in terms of what Target's done in terms of a company and stock. So I say. Shop that one, too, Mel. Uh, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go against that on Target. I'm going to say drop that one. And it, it's the way I let uh, in with this. It, Target, Target has been excellent in navigating the pandemic. It's been excellent. It's been on shoppers' lists. It's been on investors' lists. But you can't tell me with confidence that they're going to be able to re- replicate that in 2021. It's about 13% above its 50-day moving average. I think this is a hard act to follow. I would be a seller of this. Drop it. Let's get to Gap on the go at levels we haven't seen since April 2019. Shop it or drop it, Dan. Yeah, I'm dropping this one here. It's up 400% from those March lows here. Um, I'll just say this. Back in February, before the stock fell off a cliff, this stock was already trading at near like 10-year lows, right? There was things going on um, in this company's business that weren't too attractive to investors. I'm not so sure they're better off from going from earning $2 a share last year to losing $2 a share this year and taking a couple years from now to get back to peak earnings. That you, That's something that you want to invest in much higher than levels where the stock was trading 
pre-pandemic or just 10 months ago. So to me, I'm dropping this one, not buying it here. There's obviously some things going on fairly decent, at least in this space. It's not something I want to own into 2021. Kanye. Yeah. Right, Tim? Yeah, maybe. I mean, I I think... It's of course, Kanye. Where, where is not Kanye? But but I think, you know, the story with Gap, I, I agree with Dan's cynicism about what the stock has done. Um, it, I mean, it's effectively trading back to multiples when when Dan was wearing acid wash jeans that he bought from the Gap. Uh, but you have a case here where the recovery that you've seen in Old Navy. And if you look at the various pieces, so Old Navy trades six to eight times. You've got the 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 Athleta, which is probably 10 to 12 times. And you're 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 largely getting Banana Republic for free at a time when at some point we're going to have to worry about what we look like when we go back to work. I, I actually think Gap still has some room to go. And I don't think it's expensive on an EBITDA multiple. If you put it, you know, a six times overall, it's probably a 31, 32 dollar stock still, even though it's had a big run. All right, coming up, options traders are calling for a big move ahead in Dell. Buckle up for this one. We've got that trade for you straight ahead. But first, we have got a mystery fast pitch on deck. What is one name you should gamble on here? Yep, that's a hint. We'll bring it to you when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Check out shares of Bally's surging over 55% since last week. The casino operator striking a deal with Sinclair Broadcast Group for naming rights to its regional sports networks. And our next guest says this stock still has more room to run. Joining us now for a special guest fast pitch is Stephen Usher, partner at event-driven hedge fund Standard Cap- uh, General. Stephen, welcome to the show. Great to have you with us. Uh, this is a company that you are intimately uh, involved with. Um, so what, what about Bally's do you still like after this massive run? Well, you know, it, as you said, we've, we've been involved with this uh, investment for quite some period of time. We've seen the evolution to go from a, a single name property to where it is right now as in uh, multi four, 14 different casinos, 10 different states. And of those uh, 10 states, eight will be able to act as uh, live sports betting. And the reality is we're looking to kind of take the 2.0 and how you deal with sports betting. We've got the, the casinos. We have acquired a sports technology platform. And now we've got an integration of uh, top-rated uh, media broadcasting company Sinclair. So the idea is, is no longer trying to capture traditional sports betting. We're looking to truly enhance the overall growth of who's going to bet and how you're going to bet. How do you see the pieces fitting together, Stephen, in terms of what, what will become the most valuable part of, of Bally's? Will it be the sports betting and the technology associated with that? Or will it be the physical casinos? How do you see this sort of playing out over time? You know, it, it's, it's really important to have a balance. I mean, there, there's obviously a whole new customer base which have yet to have been fully embraced with the technology and what we're going to do with Sinclair. So I think when you think of how the business can grow and, and what sort of multiples as far as an upside is concerned, having technology and our, our innovative way to match the technology with the casinos, with, the, uh, with Sinclair, that's where a significant amount of the upside will be. Mm-hmm. But we really need the success of our land-based casinos. And uh, we've doubled the size of the uh, casinos uh, during the pandemic. Um, I want to make clear to the audience that, uh, that they know that Standard General, your firm, owns 37 percent of the float of Bally. So you're in this very deep, Stephen. Um, you mentioned upside. So uh, what do you project that upside to be from here? Well, now, I don't know if anybody, it, can, it should be, it could be truly what we're thinking about, a multiple of where it is right now. Um, this has been a high conviction investment for our firm for a number of years right now. 
And we've watched all of the things, all the transactions, which have gotten it to a much larger casino platform. But the transaction that was announced last week is truly trans transformative. And really, that is something that if we had high conviction before. We're even higher at this point. Wow. All right. Stephen's made his case. Let's see if the traders have any questions. Guy, question for Stephen. Stephen, unbelievable position. Uh, congratulations. Betworks. I mean, you know, sports wagering, big deal. I know Bally's entered into an agreement. I think it was last week. What do you make of all this? I mean, is that part of the thesis? Yeah, it's an important part. It, as uh, I mentioned earlier, it's definitely a, a three-pronged event. I think you've seen the what we view the 1.0 version of casinos partnering up with technology partners as a way to get new customers that weren't traditionally visiting casinos or weren't betting Typical, typical way of doing the point spread of who wins and um, who wins and loses the game. Sports betting is going to be going to another level in gaming. How many times did a quarterback pass? How many times did they hand off? It's actually going to really make the whole viewing of sports that much more exciting and even more people, more of the family be interested in it. All right. So Stevens made the case. Let's see if the traders agree. Time to vote on Stevens' pitch on Bally's. Uh, Dan, what do you say? Yeah, I'm not a buyer here. That was a massive move. Um, good for them. They obviously own this stock. Um, I think at a breakout level somewhere between 30 and 35, if it were to pull back there, that would be a good reload. I, I just, you know, Sinclair, I'm sure they did um, a lot of due diligence there. Um, you know, I, I, is that a network you want to be, um, you know, associated with, given all the press over the last couple of years or so related to them? So to me, I, you know, I, I think it's one play in sports betting. Um, these guys have placed their bets. It's not for me, though. Tim. So I, I have to be consistent. So I'm long DraftKings, and it, the valuation is unjustifiable, except for to the upside on, on the opportunity and the technology. Um, I'm a little worried about the ownership of the underlying brick-and-mortar casinos, and there's a reason why these are getting rolled up. They weren't working. But anyway, long way of saying I'm a buy, but I'm, I'm, I'm concerned about the short to medium term. But I think the upside for the sector is out of hand. Steve. Uh, you know, I'm going to say buy. I, I like the, uh, the opportunity here with Sinclair. I like the bet works. And you, you called it. If they're, if they're uh, in control of 30% of the float and the float is not that great to begin with, it sounds like the stock has the ability to go much higher from here. So although it's a tremendous move, like all the guys have just said, I think the stock can do uh, a lot more aggressively higher with that little bit of float and him controlling 30 percent of it. Guy, you've got your whiteboard up already. So go ahead. Can you can you read that? Can you read that it to says, the audience? I, I'm I in, in the house that. of Usher. Exactly. <laughs> For you Edgar Allan Poe fans, I'm in the house of Usher. Well done, Stephen. I think you, despite the fact it's had a huge move, I think you stay with the name. Wow. Three out of four traders say it's a buy. Stephen, great to see you. Thank you so much for sharing that pitch with us. We hope you'll come back soon. Stephen Usher of Standard General. Uh, the traders have voted. It is your turn out there. So are you buying Stephen Usher's fast pitch on Bally's? Vote on our Twitter poll at CNBC Fast Money. Results at the end of the show. Up next, an electrified rally. The EV maker zooming higher today. But coming up, you will hear from the CEO of Rivian. They're not public yet, but they've got big backers, including Amazon, how they hope to come out of the king, uh, come out king of the car market. All that and much more when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Private automaker Rivian going big on green as competition in the race to electric vehicles heats up. Let's get to Phil LeBeau, who's got the details and a rare interview with the CEO, Phil. 
Hi, Melissa. You know, we have talked a lot about electric pickup trucks. It's going to be a huge year and a half, two years when it comes to electric pickup trucks hitting the market. Why are we talking about Rivian today? Today, they opened up their configurator for orders of their new R1T electric pickup truck. Now, this pickup truck is going to be coming out next year. The R1T is the pickup truck. The R1S is the electric SUV. By the way, the R1T, it starts at $75,000. They are excited about it, but it's entering a crowded market. When you look at the electric pickup market, it basically breaks down like this. In the mass market, you're going to have Ford and GM in there. Those who are going to be focused on the work fleets includes uh, Lordstown Motors, which we have talked about extensively. And then Rivian, along with the Tesla Cybertruck, falls into that third category, the lifestyle pickup truck buyer. R.J. Scaringe, the founder and CEO of Rivian, thinks it's a huge market. For us, we spent a lot of time really looking at the space and understanding it. And our focus on adventure and active lifestyle is where we see you know, really the, the core early adopters of, of making the switch from gasoline to electric, uh, both in the truck and the SUV space. Not only with pickup trucks and SUVs will Rivian hope to make a big splash, but also when it comes to commercial delivery vans. Remember, Amazon invested $700 million into Rivian. Rivian is going to be building electric commercial vans, delivery vans for Amazon. Those will start uh, being delivered to Amazon late next year. And when it does happen, then Rivian will be looking at a market where they're delivering commercial vehicles, as well as electric pickup trucks, as well as an electric SUV. So watch Rivian. I know a lot of people are saying, boy, there's a lot of publicly traded companies that come to market with SPACs, Melissa. Rivian, though it's not public yet, is a, is a company you really want to be watching. Yep. Phil, thank you. Bill about let's uh, look at the EV makers in today's session. They were higher across the board, including Tesla, which hit a fresh all-time high here. Let's trade it. Uh, Grasso, Phil makes a good point. You want to watch Rivian. It's got deep pockets as backers. Uh, could it pose a threat, you think, to uh, a Tesla? Sure, it could. I like the fact that, as Phil said, you, you do have the Amazon investment. You have the Ford investment. You have a lot of investors but it's, it's amazing to me that we're not seeing the prices become more competitive. I would like to see these prices come down. So I don't know if you're going to buy this car or truck over a Tesla Cybertruck. I, I think that that's the, uh, that's the uh, billion dollar question. I will say though, <clears throat> Blink, Blink charging is up 270% in six days. And you know, the headline that we all walked into today was, Three out of four of the NASDAQ's top performers last week were in the EV space. So not only look at these car maker, makers, uh, Melissa, look at the people that are servicing the chargers. Look at all the other domino effect in the industry as well. Uh, Tim, you tweeted out a really interesting stat on GM, which is an EV maker as well, uh, earlier today. Yeah, see what you get when you read my Twitter feed. Um, no, but the, the point is that GM's up 57% in 40 sessions or so since uh, supposedly that, that negative head fake from Nikola um, made it look like GM was the one that needed Nikola rather than Nikola really needing GM. And, and I just, 
You know, I go back to the last quarter's profits for GM also, which were record profits, uh, a company that's run very differently than it used to be. But back to the EV story, a company with multiple, uh, I think, access points into the EV dynamic, which include the, you know, Phil's documented with a lot of detail, the 20 models that will be ready by 23, including a lifestyle pickup truck as well. So, I mean, I, I think they, they can compete in there. But the most important thing about GM is that it's just a little bit of multiple re-rating. These other car companies have extraordinary multiples. Maybe they deserve them, maybe they don't. But, but taking GM from a six and a half current, maybe seven times to an eight or nine times means this is a 60 to $70 stock before you really have to start worrying about, you know, the numbers being gaudy, especially based upon a future where EV has to be a major part. And clearly they've not only talked about the spending, but they actually have models ready to go. Guy, GM or Ford? GM, and, you know, good for Tim, number one. And you, you, to Tim's point about multiple, you put a nine multiple on the $6 they're probably going to earn. It's a $54 stock. So I think just in terms of multiple expansion, it's probably deserved at this point, General Motors. All right, let's check out shares of Dell now. Uh, they jumped higher ahead of tomorrow's earnings report. The stock is up 15% since the beginning of November. Option traders are betting that a big move will continue when the company's results cross the wire. Bonowin's got the action. Hey, Bonowin. Hey, how's it going, Melissa? So, yeah, taking a look at Dell, calls are placed puts two to one. What we're also seeing is that the option volume was twice what we've seen over the longer term. So quite a few entrants uh, in today. Uh, taking a look at the average move, 7%. That's what we see on earnings. Compare that to a 9% move derived from the implied options in either direction between now and December. And the, the trade that really jumped out to me is the December 70 calls. Those were sold for 275 capping your upside at about 105%. So they're really saying, listen, we've seen a lot of companies come out, blow earnings out the doors and trade off, and they're expecting that trend to continue. All right. Thanks for that, Bono and Bono and Eisen. Coming up, your last chance to vote in our fast pitch. Do you think casino operator Bally's is a buy? Head to Twitter at CNBC Fast Money. Weigh in. The results and the final trades are next. All right, time to find out if viewers at home were buying Stephen Usher's fast pitch on Bally's. Unfortunately, it was a big fold. Over 75% of voters were not placing any big bets on this name. I don't know if he, I mean, 30, he owns 37% of the float, so I doubt he cares about the poll, but FYI. Time for the final trade. Let's go around the horn. Tim. <laughs> Resources traded, it's almost back to the future. Look at Petrobras starting to break out in a Brazilian real that's actually a tailwind in the short term. Dan. Yeah, I like AutoNation, A-N here. Steve. GE, breaking out, I'm still longing. Guy. CB, Chubb. All right, thanks for watching Fast. Mad Money with Jim Kramer starts right now.